Welcome to our special seven questions edition of How to Win a Campaign. I'm Joe Fold, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter and at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. In this series, we're talking with some of our favorite authors, content creators, and influencers. You can find the seven questions that inspired this conversation at thecampaignworkshop.com or in the show notes. This week, we talk with Julie Rogers. She's a writer, speaker, and leader in the movement towards full inclusion for LGBTQ people in Christian communities. Rogers has been featured in Pray Away, a documentary about the Pray the Gay Away movement, where she talks about her experience as a survivor of conversion therapy. She played a key role in shutting down Exodus International, the largest conversion therapy organization in the world. Rogers is currently serving as a teaching fellow at the Faith and Justice Network, which gives individuals an expansive vision of Christian spirituality and ministry. She recently published her memoir, Outlove, A Queer Christian Survival Story. Outlove showcases Julie's experience growing up at the center of the battle between evangelicals and an LGBTQ community. The book focuses on political and religious power and the effect they have on those who decide to stay in a faith community. Outlove highlights the debate between evangelical Christians and the LGBTQ community while shedding a hopeful light on how the church can heal. And we're back with Julie Rogers. So Julie, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us what inspired you to write Out Love, a queer Christian survival story. Whew. Well, I came of age at the center of the battle between conservative Christians and the LGBTQ community. And I have known well over a thousand probably of earnest and beautiful people who suffered tremendously in the process of trying to reconcile their faith and sexuality in a world that didn't understand people like them. And I wanted people to know what I had seen and to give them a glimpse into the inner life of one human who spent decades working for LGBTQ dignity within uh, conservative spaces. So in the book, you talk about coming out as a teenager and grappling with your sexuality as an LGBTQ Christian. What was it like to take that emotion and put that into a book? How was that for you? It was very intense, Joe. <laughs> I am thankful I found a really great therapist early on in the process. It brought up a lot of baggage that I was honestly able to grow a lot through in that context. It was also an opportunity to cultivate empathy for the people I wrote about. I wrote about a lot of people I love dearly. Some of those people had treated me pretty badly, honestly. And I had to imagine how they would tell the same stories, which would likely be very different than how I experienced it, and at least try to represent them in the most generous light possible. So that tumultuous writing process made me grapple with just how hard it is to be human, honestly, and to remember that most of us are doing the best we can with the information available to us right now. It ultimately led to me cultivating a lot of grace. For sure. What was that? journey like to move from sort of a conservative space and move sort of away from that to find your own place? Oof. It was very long. I came out to my family in Texas. I was in a conservative community in Texas. I came out when I was 16 years old. And the next week, my mom pulled me out of class early 
and took me to meet with a minister who ran a Christian conversion therapy ministry. And I spent the next eight to 10-ish years in that Christian ministry uh, seeking healing for my gayness and trying to live a straight-ish life. And then even after I acknowledged how harmful that was, I spent several years saying I would just be a lesbian who lived single and celibate my whole life in hopes that I could remain in in those communities because it was the whole it was a whole world to me. It was my family, it was all of my friends, all of the people I had met in various Christian schools I'd been a part of. Like the, it was the whole entire universe. And it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I could finally get to a place of accepting myself and the way I give and receive love is beautiful, largely because I had met other people who I knew would be with me in the midst of that whole process, even if I did lose everyone that I had known and loved before. Many folks who've been in the LGBTQ community have taken a step back from religion due to not finding that to be a safe space for them. What do you say to them and how do you find that space? I applaud anybody who takes steps toward their own safety and well-being. And so I truly just enthusiastically support whatever choices they need to make to be healthy and find healing. You know, a lot of the work I do is for those who do miss being a part of a faith community. I just, I want them to know there are loads of churches and denominations and pastors who enthusiastically celebrate queer people. And there are a lot of spiritual communities that are fostering really fascinating conversations around how queer people are a gift to faith communities. And so I want people to know that's an option should they ever want it, but I don't think that's something they need. They're whole and beautiful exactly the way they are. And it's just... If that's something they're trying to reconcile, I want there to be space for them. But overall, I just want people to find places of healing where they can flourish. In your book, you talk about advocating against conversion therapy. Tell us more about your experience with that and what you've done and the concerns you have around conversion therapy now, still. Well, so what a lot of people don't know is that the primary place conversion therapy is happening is in nonprofit ministries and churches. So when we see that there's like bans for conversion therapy to be practiced on youth, those bans are only covering conversion therapy that happens from a licensed mental health practitioner, which is not, you know, where it's really happening the most. And and these religious communities are protected by religious freedom laws. So I say that to say in order to end the practice in the primary place where it's happening, we have to change hearts and minds. And we have to do that through narrative shifts. And so a lot of the work I've been doing is through trying to reach people in these evangelical spaces. You know, white evangelicals make up 25% of the voting block. That is an enormous group of people in our country. And what so many people don't know is that conversion therapy is ubiquitous in those communities when people come out. So we're talking about you know, millions of people where their primary response to the queer community is that we need to live a straight looking life. And that is harmful. Every single major medical association has come out and said that it's harmful. And 
in order to change that, I think people need to know that's what's going on. So by speaking to these people, by writing my book out love, by being in the film, a documentary on Netflix called Pray Away that shows the damage of conversion therapy, I am able to reach these people in these communities who can then go to their pastors and say, hey, is this what we do? Is this what we believe? Uh, because most of the time they don't know that's what's happening. That's been my main role to be, you know, working to support bills that might ban it to really be changing the hearts and minds of these people that, that are well-intentioned, but just don't know. And I would also say like a lot of people don't know that it's happening. Absolutely not. They don't know that it's happening in their community. They don't know it's happening within their church. They don't know that it's happening within their state. And it's really a horrible practice. Yeah. You talk about this in the book of shutting down sort of one place that practice this. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So the largest organization in the world that was practicing conversion therapy was called Exodus International. And they had thousands of ministries around the world that was sort of under their umbrella. And the, the ministry I was a part of, Living Hope in Arlington, Texas, which is still going, by the way. It's really alive and thriving in Texas right now. That organization was a member ministry. And eventually Exodus, when I was still my early 20s, they started asking me to like give my testimony at their conferences, which is sort of telling your story of like how you're seeking hope for healing from your same-sex attractions. And as I started, you know, got to around age 25, I started to realize the damage that it was causing and just saw how it was wrecking my friends' lives. And they were spiraling into addictions and all kinds of just sort of secretive behaviors, trying to cope, a lot of self-harm, trying to cope with the trauma. And so I went to the president of the organization and just said I couldn't participate anymore and that I thought it was really harmful and needed to end. And I was really shocked when I had that meeting with him that he said, you know, I've been hearing the stories you're talking about and I see the same thing and I think it needs to end too. So would you be willing to stay around for the next year or so talking about the harm that this causes so that we can help educate people through our network to help move them to a place of wanting to find a different response to the LGBTQ community. And so ultimately, I ended up connecting him, that president, with a bunch of LGBTQ uh, people and activists who were conversion therapy survivors. And that led to a sort of roundtable circle discussion that was featured on Lisa Ling's show um, on CNN. It was I can't remember what it was called at the time, but that just sort of started building more and more momentum to where the president eventually moved the board and they decided to to shut it down, which is really symbolic and really decentralized the movement in a way that had a powerful impact on, on conversion therapy in those conservative spaces. We've also seen, you know, over the last couple of years, an increase in anti-LGBTQ legislation on the state legislative level, whether that's sports bans, whether that is specific laws that don't allow teachers to use pronouns, all kinds of things. What has been your thought around some of that legislation and how communities can fight against it? I think that LGBTQ issues are used to scare voters to drum up support for their candidates, honestly, because we're such a small percentage of the population that are just not causing any harm. And it doesn't make any sense to sort of zero in on such a vulnerable population that's just trying to survive and live their lives in peace. 
And so I think that we're going to continue to see, like, as long as there's anti-LGBTQ biases and bigotry, we're going to see new forms of oppression, bills, new ways of trying to sort of attack this community until we get to the root of the issue, which is people not really seeing and understanding and, and loving the queer people in their communities. And so what's so sad to me about going for trans people specifically is that it seems like they kind of know a lot of, you know, the religious right and conservatives know that they lost the battle on same-sex relationships because hearts and minds did change. People started getting to know their gay neighbors and being like, hey, they're awesome. And they may, they throw great dinner parties and are just raising their kids and their pets just like us. And that sort of shifted them and changed them to the point where it seems like conservative activists had to find a new a new hook. And they they took trans people who aren't as accessible to a lot of people who aren't as known by people in the mainstream and have just made up stories and told lies about them to once again drum up that fear. And so it's really a tireless... <laughs> tireless effort trying to create empathy and expand people's understanding of how vulnerable people are and how, gosh, we're all just humans doing the best we can out here and deserve to be loved and protected and, and to find communities where we can thrive. Yeah. I mean, I find it especially troubling that the latest grouping of legislation is around kids. Gosh, yeah. And that to me is the worst And they're part so of vulnerable. I mean, statistics just show like they're so vulnerable to suicidal ideation and self-harm. And it's just, it's really maddening to see people going for young people who are in that kind of vulnerable state. We can do a lot better. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we can. But I mean, in your book, you really do talk about the positive future you've been able to have and sort of come, come through this. And I think, talk to us a little bit about what you do now and the work you have been doing. Yeah, I mean, I am happier now than I've ever been. And I can say that about every single year for the last, you know, seven, eight years that I've been out and thriving and living in love and just keeps getting better and better. And so I, I just want those people to know they're not alone. Like there are just countless people out there with the same fears, asking similar questions, wrestling with the same feelings of loneliness and alienation. And there are even more people who have come out on the other side of that experience with more compassion and a deeper capacity for love. I want them to know that they're, they're a gift to their communities and that I feel like now so much of the work I do is because of my queerness. It gives me insights into relationships and even spirituality and all kinds of things because I grew up feeling that sense of alienation and difference. And when you've, when you've healed, it's like they say about scars, right? Like the scars, once they're healed, are even stronger than the rest of the skin around it. And so, yeah, I hope that people will find a few safe people to let into those parts of their process and that they can really begin to know they're seen and loved exactly for who they are, not in spite of the fact that they're queer, but in many ways because of it. Absolutely. Wow. Well, beyond your book, right, and your podcast, do you have any other recommendations of things that our uh, readers could uh, listen to or read that you have enjoyed? Hmm. Lots of things. Gosh, it so depends on what they're looking for. I mean, I, I will say that the documentary I was a part of called Pray Away that's currently on Netflix is definitely worth watching if you want to know more about conversion therapy. It's 90 minutes, and it's a quick way to get like a pretty – 
intense primer into how it plays out. So I recommend watching that for sure. And then there are just some people like Glennon Doyle is sort of like she and her wife, Abby Wambach, have really become faces of of just representing what it looks like to be out and open and owning their lives and owning their truths and doing their work. And Glennon comes from a conservative Christian background. She got her start as sort of like a quote unquote mommy blogger, <laughs> blogging about being a Christian mom. And over the course of that, ended up leaving her husband in a way that was really amicable. They're, they're all best friends now. And it's just been beautiful to see people authentically living their lives in a way that's generative and leads to healing and doesn't uh, lead to chaos and destruction like so many of us fear when we're on the the front end of making those kinds of big leaps. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. If folks want to get a hold of you, how can they reach out? Well, that's very kind of you to ask. Um, I would say go to my website. It's julierogers.com and it's Rogers with a D like the Dodgers. And you can find all my socials there and ways to contact me. I love I love hearing from people and I so appreciate you bringing me on, Joe, and I appreciate the work you're doing to make this world a little gentler. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to chat with you and we'll chat again soon. Thank you. How to Win a Campaign is Joe Fold. Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Carrie Yanata, Gabriella Zwaffler, and Hope Ledford. Music by Mike Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.